quick thank you to our sponsors for making this podcast possible. They keep this show free to listen to. This episode is sponsored by Byheart. Byheart features a patent protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. Their formula includes the most abundant protein, alpha-lac, found in breast milk, as well as lactoferrin, the number one protein found in colostrum. Byheart is an easy-to-digest formula, which includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio like an early breast milk, making it great for a newborn's digestive system. Byheart is the only U.S.-made infant formula made with certified clean ingredients, including organic, grass-fed, whole milk, not skim. What it doesn't have is soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast. Use code PEACE for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. I love a cozy fleece for the winter. I got the Kodopak Seed Tekka Fleece from Active Threads. It's so warm and the color palette is gorgeous. Active Threads is a female-run company with two moms at the helm. I love supporting working moms like myself when I can. Active Threads has a great selection of women's active and outdoor apparel, ranging from sports bras and leggings to camping gear and backpacks. As a gift to my listeners, they are extending 15% off anything on their site. Head to activethreads.com and use code PEACE15 at checkout. I came to parenting with everything I learned in childhood, yelling, punishing, controlling, and shaming. After trying almost every method, I found connected parenting and was totally shocked when empathy, listening, doing away with rewards and consequences, and being a safe place actually worked. It moved the behaviors of my children and it felt good, especially with my very strong-willed and highly sensitive oldest daughter. This podcast was born out of the idea of sharing the message and helping parents find more peace in a modern world. Welcome to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. So glad you're here. Welcome back to the Peace and Parenting Podcast. I'm Michelle and I'm so glad you're here. We have a really special episode today where I partnered with Dr. Tracy D., if you don't know her, you're going to want to find her on Instagram. She's Dr. Tracy D and she's a relationship expert. And so we are talking in duality around the idea of fixing things for our partners in our romantic relationships and then also fixing things for our kids and how there's the through line. So please tune into this lovely episode. I hope you enjoy it. And I'm so glad you've joined us. Michelle, I am so excited for our chat today because first, this is a special episode. We're going to post it on my podcast and we're posting it on your podcast. We're going to have all of the links and the show notes there for people to be able to see. I think this is a conversation that we really need to have around how we tend to show up in our relationships with our children and our partners, which is, can we just fix them? Yeah. Can we make them do what we want them to do? Right, right. Which is fixing in our relationship, right? I want you to do exactly what I do, the way that I do it and how I show up. Okay, so let's go into the parent-child relationship first. How does that show up in that relationship? What do you see happening with the people you work with? I think a couple of things. I think it might be slightly different for the child-parent relationship than it might be for the spouse relationship. But 
it could be similar. You're going to tell me. I think there's a lot of anxiety around watching our kids suffer, Mm. like having them suffer in a social situation or having them suffer at school with a grade or having them suffer in a sports endeavor that we are very uncomfortable because we think that that suffering and that feeling, those negative feelings isn't okay. And somehow they are going to be damaged or they're not going to be able to recover or that something is wrong. And I think that's an, an incredible, an incredibly difficult experience too, right? That we see more vulnerable, younger people suffering. And, you know, even so my little guy, he's seven and, you know, he comes home and I can see that there were hard things that happen at school. And I just want to get in there and make it go away. So he doesn't have to feel that pain. And right. Cause it's just, so hard. Yeah, I think that's where it comes from. When it doesn't come from out of this, you know, bad place, it comes from a really good place that we want to spare their feeling. Yeah. Okay. So when I think about the couple relationship, then there, there's probably that layer in there. I think when we, if we think about the starting of our relationship, where we don't have the layers of distress, the layers of disconnection and resentment, and the uh, you know, you haven't done the dishes and I'm doing all the things and I'm exhausted and resentful. I think in the early days of our relationship, when it's just the two of us, we don't want to see our partners in pain. We would do anything to return their phone call right away or to pick them up at the end of the day saying, tell me about that review that you just had and how awful this was and this isn't fair. And right, mm-hmm. like we don't want to see them suffer. Yeah. Don't you think? And, and and then if we start to think about the the lifespan of a relationship, while that was the initial motivation, that really starts to change over time. And perhaps maybe even underneath that. So if we think about our... You and I were talking about how we tend to want our partners to just parent the way we do, right? It's a common challenge that shows up. And so when we're commenting on that, could we say that underneath that there is still this, I don't want you to suffer? And in some ways, I believe that is true. Because if I think of the moments where Greg, my husband, is struggling with the kids and those mm-hmm. moments where I'm like, you just need to. Well, yeah. it doesn't come across as like, I don't want you to suffer and struggle in this moment. No. And I think maybe it causes us suffering, mm-hmm. right? Their suffering causes us that we can't differentiate. We can't say like, those are your feelings. Those are your, my child's feelings. Those are my partner's feelings. And I'm not going to take them on as my own. They are just their feelings. And I can't hold the space because some of us take it on as, as effect and it affects us both right. as a partner. I think more as a partner in my partner, in my romantic relationships, I feel like oh, now I'm going to take on their like feelings and I can't just keep the space between us. Yeah. It's really interesting working with people in, and, and I'm curious if the listeners can relate to this, where they turn to their children and they do the, all the things, the conscious parenting, the, I see your feelings, I'm sitting with you in this, I'm holding the boundary. And then we turn to our partner and it's like, well, just, just fix it. Just come on. Just yeah. like, oh, you, oh, you're anxious about work. Just go do the thing. You'll be fine. Right. So it's kind of like we turn left. And then we turn right and do a completely different thing. Well, it's so and, much easier to hold space for a little kid, right? Because you're right. like, oh, you, I know, I understand. Oh, that's hard. That's really hard. And you look at your spouse and you're like, 
get it together. Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's the piece. That is the expectation, right? And it, and it is the, like, I'm turning to another adult and I'm like, you don't have this figured out yet. It, it's, it's our expectation with our partner that I think really starts to get sticky in there because we lose the core view of the other person as we all have those same needs that our children have, which is love and belonging. Do I matter? Am I important? Can I have attention, right? Like, can you put your phone down and turn to me and talk to me when I say I'm feeling anxious about this work event, which is the same thing as what our children say. But we have a hard time holding space because they're big and adultish. They're adults yeah. and we expect them to have better coping skills, I guess. You know, the other thing I see with um, parents too is that they don't want to, and this is just in parenting, I guess, they don't want to just allow their spouse to do the wrong thing, to make the mistake, to fail, to fall, because they want to spare their children. But I think when they go in to intervene with their spouse, they're actually creating a bigger mushroom there, right? A bigger conflict because now the parent has to come back and defend themselves. And now they've created this upset. Whereas if they just let them fail, just say the wrong thing, kid's going to cry. It's okay. It's their relationship. They'll figure it out. You're going to damage the relationship you share with your spouse if you intervene too much like that. Yes. Yeah, I'm almost picturing like the triangle, right? So that each of us needs to have our own relationship with each other. And we don't want to interfere with the relationship between our spouse and the child. They need to develop that on their own. It's interesting. So from the parent, from the couple perspective, one of the biggest questions we bump up against when I'm working with couples is, well, so what am I supposed to do in that moment? I hear they're in their room he, I'll just say he for, um, just keep it simple with a heterosexual relationship, um, clear in my mind anyways, that it's like, he says he's not clearly explaining da, 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 da. And, and so I go and intervene and then he gets mad and then we get into our negative cycle. Then we're arguing. And then the next time, well, he got mad at me, so I didn't help. And then he came down the stairs and he's like, where were you? You didn't help me. I was struggling. So, so it can often feel like, what am I supposed to do in these moments? And I think that's really where parents miss the opportunity to actually talk about how can we signal to each other when we're struggling in those hard moments? Like, how can we like wave the flag and make that decision then, right? Yeah, I want your help. I'm going to show. And you have to, I guess you have to have a, some sort of code word, some sort of, yeah, I need your help. I need out. Yeah. Right, calling on each other. And I think that's so important. So not making the assumption, right? And that's the piece that couples get stuck in is, well, I'm just assuming that because they didn't want my help last time, then I'm not going to step in rather than seeing each moment as different. And it doesn't have to be a, I don't think you've got this. Do you want me to step in? It can simply be a, you good? Do you want me to come in? Yeah. And I think for the child-parent relationship, when the child comes to us and says, my friend was mean to me on the playground. Instead of coming in and rescuing them, right? Like we want to rescue our spouse. Instead of coming in and saying, oh, well, you should tell that little boy you don't want to play with him anymore tomorrow because he's not very kind and blah, blah, blah. Can you hold space and say, oh, that sounds really hard. Tell me more. What mm-hmm. happened? Mm-hmm. And then can you ask them probing questions? Well, what did he say then? Well, what happened next? Well, what do you think you could do? Can you lead them? And maybe you could do this with your spouse too. Can you have the conversation with them as opposed to just coming in and telling them what to do? Like, can you later have a discussion around 
how can we help problem solve without giving my opinion? Mm, yeah, I, I love that, Michelle. It's that curiosity that we need to bring into all of our relationships, which is the ask questions, right? Because that, that builds the understanding. Yeah, we came from families though where our parents told us what to do, how to fix things, how to make it happen. You know, they just were very directive. And so of course we go there. Yeah, you know, it's interesting when I think about that. It's like how... And this might be a tough question for people to kind of ask themselves, but it's like, do I step into that parent role with my own partner? Right. Mm-hmm. And because because that's how we experienced it. Our parents would say, Oh, you're anxious. It'll be fine. Everything will work out. You know, just do the thing. And I think sometimes we turn to our partners with that experience by saying the same thing rather than even and I I I this is such a simple hack in our relationships that when we are and even with our kids, I mean, you can speak to this better than I can, but all of these emotions are all over the place and you don't know what to do. The place you can start at with your partner is by saying, tell me more about that. Yeah. Right? Like it's just such a small, simple thing that says to somebody, oh, you're interested in what I have to say and what my experience is. Yeah. And you gain so much insight into your partner or your child because you can say it with your kids too. You gain so much more insight because you might have a whole thought process around this experience, but their thought process might be completely different. Their take on the situation who knows what it is. Right. I'm thinking your kids are older than mine. And so can you tell me the wisdom? What, what, what do you wish you had done more of to help step out of this a little bit more? Yeah, you know what my daughter... My daughter uh, will be 17 in January. And we were driving to school last year. And I want her to be on the podcast, but she keeps saying she's too shy. Oh. So you don't have to until you're ready. But I said... <laughs> She said, what would we talk about? And I said, well, I would want to ask you, what do you see the differences between the way in which I parent and the way in which some of your friends' parents parent? Mm. She said to me, and this has stuck with me for a long time, I know, mom, that you trust me. Oh. And that to me was like, I wish I would have started with that idea because I don't think I necessarily started parenting with that idea. I spent years yelling and bribing and threatening and doing the things that didn't work. And so I wish I would have started with this idea that we really can trust our kids. They can make good decisions. They can problem solve. They can come to remorse. They can come to their own ideas about what's moral and what's not moral without us shoving it down their throat and without us, you know, controlling them into that. And we just have to trust them. Oh, that is so powerful, Michelle. And and I always do this when I sit with parenting experts because then I'm thinking, go to the couple. It's like, yes, just trust your partner. It was once there between you two. Um, This is really interesting though. One of the things that I've been doing with my kids is being able to let them problem solve. So for example, I mean, let's say the the most recent moment was around wanting the same marker this morning while they're coloring, right? Of course, this is the stuff that shows up with a five and seven-year-old. And and I had said to them, I, I validated the experience. They were both upset. Oh, you know, those markers, they're the best. What are your ideas? And without me intervening, they came to a solution that worked. And sometimes I have to step in and say, hmm, okay, so you're still saying you want the marker. So that's not quite the solution because it's only about yourself, but there's other people here. Let's try again. What else? Yeah, and they come it. to it. 
That's it. I do a protocol called the sibling protocol and I do 12 steps and that's basically it. You did it much more simply and succinctly, but you validate and then you have, say, guys, we got a problem. You have to figure it out and we can instead of just going to, okay, we're taking the markers away. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> I, I, if if that were steps one to 10 in my head are, I want to take the markers away. Why are yes. we doing Okay. Self-regulate, breathe. This is a hard moment. Your own stuff is showing up here. Removing the item is not going to teach that, right? Like it's this internal dialogue that it's taken a long time to have that more. And I want listeners to hear that this is not something that has been so automatic or comes really easily. And I'm this calm, cool, collected parent. I'm in my head and my husband and I both say, we are the calm leaders. We are confident leaders. We can trust them. We don't need to put our stuff into this here. They will figure it out, right? They will. But I mean, like I said, I started out six years of like really being a tyrant of a bomb. Mm-hmm. And at times I still find myself yelling when I don't want to because I can't always self-regulate. So also for anybody out there, like I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. It's not an easy job and you're going to mess up, but it's a beautiful opportunity to make amends. It really yes. is. That's part of being in a murky, icky, hard relationship with someone. Oh yes, with with the parent-child and uh, you as a couple. Have you been dying to get one of your parenting questions answered? You're in luck. I just began offering an Instagram subscription. We have a private daily chat where I help parents navigate the stickiness of connected parenting. I post videos to help folks further understand the ideas of connection. And I go live once a week answering everyone's parenting questions. It's only $4.99 a month and you can cancel anytime. Head over to the Peace and Parenting IG page and click the subscriptions button on the main page to join today. I can't wait to see you there. I don't think we talk enough about just how important that repair is. And when I think about couple relationships, I know this is a huge struggle that people have, which is, okay, so you made a mistake. We all make mistakes. Mm -hmm. We all yell. We all speak a little harsher to our partners than we had intended to. And we also always have that chance to go back and repair with our partners. You know, I had this big epiphany lately. My older daughter, who's 17, like I said, will be 17. She's When she does something wrong, she gets really shameful. And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, mom. And I was reflecting and I was like, that's how I used to apologize mm-hmm. when I would do something wrong with her. Because I went to this place of like, oh my gosh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. And I had to say, I'm sorry, 17 times. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that. Oh my God. Oh my God, I'm so dumb. I'm sorry. And then I started thinking about it. I don't want her to apologize like that. And I think also, I don't want to apologize to people like that. So I started reframing my whole apology and I, but I have a hard time doing it in my romantic relationships. Like, how do I say sorry? Like with a deep amends, with a deep regret, like, you know, that thing that happened, it was my fault and I'm taking full responsibility. And I want you to know that you had nothing to do with it. And this is all on me instead of just saying, I'm sorry. I think the the piece that you're sharing there is that it's, that story can often comes from a place of shame and shame acts as a separator, right? So even in the parent-child relationship, it acts as to create a separation between us. I, I see it in my therapy office so that when one partner expresses 
you weren't there for me. I really needed you. And the other person goes into shame and is like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's almost as if they're rolling out of the couch off to somewhere else. And I I can see the other person being like, no, you don't get it. (laughs) That's me. Right, right. But so it's not just the I'm, oh, I'm such a bad person. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm always screwing up because then suddenly the focus becomes on us. And it loses the peace around the connection, which is like keeping the bridge, the interpersonal bridge open, which is it's one thing to go to ourselves, but to really do self-soothing in those moments and then looking at the other person and going into their experience. I imagine this didn't feel good for you. It's so so hard hard because you're so disconnected from yourself because you're in the shame. Right. You really have to ground yourself back there to get to this like, flying at 30,000 feet so I can help my partner, help my child, help my whomever. It's hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And it is the, okay, so what am I doing to stay in my body and be in the present moment? Pushing my feet onto the ground. Maybe I'm saying, can we hold hands together? Breathing or even squeezing, right? People can really benefit from squeezing their hands or if they've got a chance to grab an ice cube or even the co-regulation piece, like could we have a hug first before we move forward? We often think that apologies have to be all about words. And sometimes it can be about finding other ways to connect before adding in more words. So I'm thinking even with our children, right? We talk about this with kids is that, you know, talking about behavior change in a moment when they're flooded isn't when when they're right. No, we're not going anywhere with that one. That's not going to work. I do a whole thing on apology too for parents to recognize that even if, because parents are very into, not all parents, but many of us are into this idea of like, my child needs to apologize to me or to their sister or whatever it is. But there are ways to make amends that aren't the words, I'm sorry. It can be, do you want to play with me? Or can I show you my picture? Or um, do you want to do special time? Like there's a whole different way in which we can make amends that isn't necessarily just words too, like you're saying. And kids will show you that and you can know in your mind, oh, they're making up for what they did. Yeah. Oh yeah. I That's so important. And then as adults too, we can do the same thing. We can make the meal, right? Sometimes as adults, I think our the front of our brain really wants to hold on to some of those words. And so we've got to not get stuck in our egos that say they must apologize. You know, they must say I'm sorry 10 times in order for it to be real, right? But instead being able to see, okay, so that's my ego that shows up here. It wants to protect me because whatever is underneath that from my own childhood that shows up in my relationship. Yeah, the hurt just keeps coming out. The hurt and the pain, yeah. What would be the number one thing that parents could start to do around this urge to take away suffering from their children? I think the first thing that you can do is just ground yourself. You know, I like to put my hand on my heart and on my stomach and I just say, their pain is okay. They're going to get through it. How can I ground myself and know that their suffering is okay? They will recover. And then if I can get that mindset going then I can stay present and just ask probing questions and offer empathy. I'm right here. I know it was really hard. I understand. Tell me more about what happened. Get information. And then just not give your opinion. If you can just keep your opinion out of it, let them fail and let them recover with your support. And then they will build resilience that way. And then they're Mm -hmm. going to 
be able to take that resilience into the next time that something bad happens and they're just building their grit. I think that's really important when we think about the parent child or the the couple when we when it's that piece of we don't parent the same way. The way my partner parent just gets under my skin, right? They're not doing it the way I do it and and it is about saying like okay, so we are two different people. That that differentiation you mentioned earlier, I am okay, you are okay. We view the world differently as long as our children are safe, physically safe, right? That two parents are going to offer different things to their children. And that can be really powerful. And when we can practice that differentiation, I think we can free up a lot of space in ourselves then to say, I'm okay and they're okay. And then we don't have to get in there and fix this all and right hold on to this tension and resentment. I like that. I like that. Giving them their space to be their own parent. Yeah, right. And then modeling the way in which you... I just like to do also tell my parents, like just model the way you want it to be done. And maybe if they see that that's working for you, they will hop on your bandwagon. Yeah. And then we go back to that curious position of how did it go for you? Was there something that worked for you? What didn't? Yeah, you know, I always love the question of like, what What do you think would happen if you tried something different, right? Because it's a lot of fear that shows up of, well, what if their emotion is so big and I get swept away in it and I don't, what if they never come out of it? Which is all of our stuff about feelings, right? I, I don't know if you've heard this quote, Michelle. It's one of my favorite ones. I think I came across it in like 2014. And it's that pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. And, and it's to say that we all experience pain in life. It's part of the human condition. But what we like to do as humans is we like to push the pain away. Don't feel the pain. Don't think about it. Don't walk through it. Don't allow yourselves to notice any of those hard feelings. But the more we keep pushing away that pain, the more we suffer yeah. because we are trying so hard to not feel what's there. Yeah. Why do we push it away? Why do we, what is that? It's societal, it's built in our, it's a defense mechanism. What is it? All of it, all of it. We just, I mean, if you think of your own parents and as the listeners are listening to this, think of your own parents. Have you seen both of them cry? Have you seen them walk through and process something hard? For many people, they tell me that they didn't see their fathers cry. Even when someone important died or a big event happened, they didn't see them cry. So they didn't learn what it means to trust that you will come out of pain, right? right? Yeah, we don't learn how to do it. We're taught to sweep it away. I mean, the classic um, expression, especially for boys, is don't cry over spilt milk. Oh, you fell down. Brush it off. Keep going. Pull up your socks. Don't cry. Yeah, the whole thing. Right? That's an unfortunate place we put men in this world. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We, and we just had this conversation in my office actually about how we feel, and, and I feel this as a mother to a son, I feel this inherent pressure to get my son to be independent. Like, go do hockey, go, right? Like, you should be independent. You should, the shoulds. <laughs> I don't like the shoulds. You, you know, you should be tougher. And, and you know, my son is is a highly sensitive guy. He feels deeply and his shame is so close to his vulnerability and it's really beautiful. And so we, what we were talking about with one of my colleagues in the office recently was around 
for mothers to not feel like they have to launch their sons off so quickly, mm-hmm. that actually our job is to still help them build differentiation and healthy separation to still help them emotionally. Because if we sit with them in that, we're modeling also what it means to process hard, painful stuff. Yeah. I read once that there was some social scientist and he concluded, and I don't know if this is true or not, that the male race is actually more sensitive than the female race or gender. And I was like, wait, what? Are you sure? And he had a whole theory behind it and all the science behind it. And I'm like, I, I probably would believe that if our society hadn't put so much pressure on men to be stoic. I believe it because it, behind the stoicism in my office, the themes are, I'm not enough. I'm always failing you. I'm inadequate. Working with military couples, this was a powerful aha moment in a talk when I had said, when your partner is deployed and they're all the way across the world and they're fixing for you on the phone and you're like, ah, the kids today, it's just been such a hard day. I'm all by myself. I hate that I'm doing this all by myself. I miss you. I just wish you were here. And when your partner says, just put them to bed early, just give them some screen time, right? Your, Your husband is across the world giving you the solutions that you already have. And so I had reframed that for them and said, because underneath that, they don't feel adequate in their parenting role. They're not here to be part of it. They feel like they're failing. They're not doing their job as a father to help be there and support you. And so they don't know what to do with that. They're just, right? They're struggling. Struggling. They want to fix it, fix it, fix it. Totally. (laughs) Right? And so I, I guess maybe that's the other question then is like, if we're on the receiving end of fixing... To not then yell at our partners and say, ah, there you go again. You're, you know, you're always fixing. You never understand me. Just being able to say what you need in those moments. Yeah, I I hear you. And I think it would be more helpful if you could just say. I think our kids feel the same way when we try to fix their problems. They're like, wait, hold on. You've skipped this whole step of my feelings. You just went straight to fix it. You didn't, (laughs) did you notice that I'm upset? No, you just went to a solution. And when we do that, then they're like, wait a minute. I don't feel heard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very parallel things happening here. Always. As we come back to the (laughs) attachment, our core needs, we are all human and the relational piece of how do we build healthy, connected relationships. I'm so glad we got to sit down and talk about this. I know this was so good. And I like how we like weaved it all in. It was kind of, we touched on a lot of good little areas. We did. Okay, Michelle, tell my listeners when I post this up where they can find you, what you have going on. Yeah, I'm Peace and Parenting almost everywhere. Instagram, um, Facebook, TikTok. My website is peaceandparentingla.com. I'm mostly on Instagram. That's where I spend a lot of my time. I have online courses. I, I have clients one-on-one. I've got a membership and a subscriptions and a bunch of stuff going on. So just come check it all out. So many good resources. You share so many helpful pieces. So I'll make sure that all the links are in the show notes. Okay, and you tell us. Definitely. Yes. Where can we find you? It's Dr. Tracy D everywhere. The website, drtracyd.com. If you are wondering about your relationship cycle that you get into, I have a free quiz there for you to explore and lots of free downloads as well. I also have a membership space called Be Connected. It is primarily mothers joining because their partners aren't ready to get the help to jump on board, which is okay because we know that when you start changing how you communicate and show up that... 
the whole cycle can start to change over time, right? So that's be, it's called yeah. Be Connected. So I'll give you all the links and then we yes, can share that. All right. all right. Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.